When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Banjo extraordinaire Bela Fleck headlines Wolf Trap in Virginia on Saturday, sharing a bill with Sam Bush and the Jerry Douglas Band. I spoke to Fleck about his illustrious career from New Grass Revival to the Fleck Tones, racking up over a dozen Grammys along the way. Hey, Bela Fleck. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. My pleasure. Good to see you, Jason. We're talking because you're coming to Wolf Trap on July 2nd, this Saturday. So not only a few days left, get your tickets now. Um, what can we expect from the show? I know you'll be with mandolin master Sam Bush and then also Jerry of the Jerry Douglas Band. You guys were did strength in numbers a few years back, but uh, what can we expect from the show? Oh, it's just a pure joy from start to finish. Now, I know we're trying to sell tickets and everything, but I, I'm, I'm an honest sort of fella. And everybody's just so happy. People are playing their butts off. There's no butts left <laughs> anywhere on the tour. We've got three bands. They're all kind of ridiculously talented bands and um, led by one by me and one by Sam Bush, one by Jerry Douglas. These are my pals from, you know, from the 80s. We've been playing bluegrass all this time and sort of progressing on our separate careers. And I haven't been playing bluegrass for a long, long time, though. So um, this is a return for me. I put out an album called My Bluegrass Heart. And uh, actually won the Grammy this year for uh, Best Bluegrass Album, which is uh, amazing. And put together an incredible band of um, you know younger players, younger than me. Uh, Brian Sutton, like the, the top guitarist of his generation. Sierra Hall, unbelievable mandolin player. Uh, and uh, oh, Michael Cleveland is one of the greatest bluegrass fiddle players who ever lived. Uh, Mark Shadd's playing the bass. He's just been part of so much great music for decade after decade. And Justin Moses, who plays every instrument better than any of the rest of us and sings. So it's a killer band. But what's really fun about this show, this tour, is everybody plays their music, but then we all get together. And the jams at the end, they're not really jams because we're playing these quite involved, complex tunes. It's high energy, but it's um, it's pretty impressive. Uh, when Sam and Jerry are out there with the Bluegrass Hard Band, it gets, uh, gets cranking. Yeah, those encore jams are going to be exciting. Um, as far as your actual set, your you know your portion of it, yeah, is, is it going to be my bluegrass heart? You know, the Grammy winning album you just mentioned. Is it going to be that start to finish, or is it going to be some songs from that and then some of your past stuff too? Uh, there's a couple of past pastures. This is there's a couple of pastures. Um, pastures, <laughs> I like that. I don't know. I can said it again. Um, yeah, I'm like we for instance we do big country, which the Flectones did, and um, we also uh, we have a couple of vocals in there um sam sings so his set comes in the middle it starts with jerry douglas playing his music which is beautiful with a great band very unusual and very uh he's just one of the great melody players and improvisers of any instrument you know great american musician 
uh, but it's instrumental mostly. He, he may sing one song. And then Sam Bush's music is a little more vocal. This stuff is pretty instrumental because I don't, I don't sing. At least I don't want anyone to know that I sing. <laughs> uh, but so it's very much built around this pretty complex music that I've created that, that is uh, hopefully, while being a little bit heady, also keeps the heart and the soul of bluegrass music, you know, the, uh, the rhythm and the groove and the virtuosic playing. Um, and uh, it's just a trip. We're just having such a good time. I'm, uh, we have th this will be the last show of this tour, and we've never put these three bands together before. So if it's kind of like a miniature bluegrass festival, honestly, right. or miniature Telluride bluegrass, someplace an open-minded bluegrass festival, but with bluegrass at the heart of who everyone is. It's a I love it. You you just mentioned you, you just mentioned the concept of a, a bluegrass fest. Um, didn't did you just recently play Delfest up in Cumberland? I did. I played at Dell Fest and we were at Telluride. We're making all the stops this year. All the, the major bluegrass it. festivals have been having us, which is nice. Which is kind of why I wanted to do it. I wanted to reconnect with that world. And um, I've been having a great experience playing, you know, like with Chick Corea, my hero, the jazz pianist who passed this last couple of years ago, and, and with the Zakir Hussein and with orchestras and doing things where you take, and the Flectones, of course, mm -hmm. and doing things where I take the banjo out of the bluegrass band and try to, you know, treat it as if it were a a, a real instrument <laughs> every once in a while if i don't play bluegrass um i get a little sad and um and then when i play bluegrass the joy comes back because that's where i started that's what made me want to play banjo in the first place was hearing earl scruggs and listening to that kind of music so it, it's it's something banjo players need to do if you're a three-finger player every once in a while touch base with the firmament <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, you know, when you first heard Earl Scruggs and got into banjo because, and that's also why I mentioned uh, Delfest from a couple of weeks ago, because we talked to Del McCurry. He said he was inspired by, you know, hearing Scruggs as well. And it sounds like yeah. you were too. I know you were born in, in New York um, in, in the late fifties, but uh, was it, was it for you, was it Scruggs? Uh, was it on the Beverly Hillbillies theme? It sure was. And, you know, people laugh about it, but I had to say, listen to that banjo. It's no laughing matter. It's such great playing. It's so it's just so grounded and earthy and yet so fast and crisp and I I don't know. I still stop in my tracks whenever I hear Earl Scruggs play. Also a great show. Hills that is. I mean it's, it's a good one. <laughs> I mean the, the thing is the thing is I'm like really serious about music so the, it's funny that the thing that would turn me on to the banjo right. that I'm so serious like I'm cold, serious as a heart attack about about you know sure. working on music and making it being as good as I can be but the fact that it was a comedy, you know, a, a very <laughs> silly, you know, in, in fact, you could say insulting comedy, except the fact that the, the hillbillies always were actually smarter than the city slickers. So that right. maybe, maybe not. But it, yeah, it was it was a cool show in, in its way. But it's like I don't stand by the show the way I stand by Earl Scruggs' banjo playing. That's the thing for me. That's and, what and changed. Earl, yeah, it does. It changed me and almost everybody who has fallen in love with the banjo, like in that sort of um, type a way where they have to go learn to play it they all heard earl scruggs it was he has some kind of a power to transform an unactivated banjo player into a, a zombie you know looking for an instrument like i must find the banjo and learn how to play it must not do anything else out of my way mortals you know that sort of thing but um i don't know why there's certain musicians who have that power on their instrument to transform other people and earl had that um, still love it so, so he it. so hearing him is you know that sparked your zombie obsession <laughs> with wanting to play as you said but how yeah. did you actually get your hands on one wasn't it a gift from grandpa or something <laughs> it was yes you've done well you've done well 
Um, yeah, so um, the thing about the banjo when you listen to it is you go, wow, that's cool, but I could never do that. That's the general response when you hear the banjo. It's like, oh my God, that is so special. But I, no, nah, impossible. It sounds like a machine. I mean, it sounds like no human being could possibly do it. So although I had fallen in love with the sound of the banjo when I was, I guess, five, four or five, something like that, um, it, I never presumed that I could play it. So I never got one. But anytime I heard it, I was banjo aware from then on. Anytime it was like, oh, there's that sound. I love that. That is so cool. And then, then the movie Deliverance came out when I was about 14. And so when I was 15, I went to see my grandfather up in Peekskill, New York, and he had bought a banjo. And I think he wanted to give it to my brother. I can't remember exactly because I was starting to monkey around with the guitar a little bit. You know, I was one of those kids that was like interested in the guitar. You say, oh, he's interested in music. Interested isn't enough. You know, you got to be you know, really fairly psycho to get anywhere on an instrument. So for me, um, when I got the banjo, I transformed from someone who was interested in music to being obsessed with the banjo. Yeah. And that, and very quickly I got pretty good. Like by the time I was out of high school, it's only three years later, I was at a level that I was joining professional bands and uh, touring bands and traveling around um, playing banjo and, and bluegrass bands. But remember, I'm from New York City. I'm from, I'm from Upper West Side. So it, it's pretty bizarre. This is the life that I've ended up with, but it's been amazing. That might be why you connected with Deliverance. The city slickers going on the <laughs> a journey into nature and learning. Pretty scary uh, stuff. It's a master John Borman masterpiece. That's such a great it's, movie. It's an incredible movie, yeah. I mean, I, I like the canoeing part and I like the banjo part. There's some parts in it that I would rather avoid. But, uh, <laughs> But that's all that's all symbolism for mankind's rape of nature and et cetera, et cetera. But we're, I'm, I'm a movie critic. We're here to talk music. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible um, movie, actually. But uh, yeah, it's not for not for the the meek or the young. Pain of heart. Yes, yeah. um, definitely. Well, you you know, you mentioned your you know, so you're talking about the early for formative days in New York. But then you moved to Boston and joined the Tasty Licks, do a couple albums with them and you do your solo album, Crossing the Tracks. How do you then how do you um meet Sam Bush and join Newgrass Revival? How does that because Sam's right. playing playing with you this this weekend at Wolf Trap? So you know how, right. how did the Newgrass Revival formation happen? Okay, so there was like an elite crew of people that were the top cats in bluegrass when I came up. And it was Sam Bush, it was Tony Rice, and Jerry Douglas, um, um, those were the cats, you know. And um so I wished I could play with those guys, but I was a bit younger, a few years younger than those guys, so they seemed like impossible superstars that I would never know even but at any rate I, I also had this going against me that I was a Yankee banjo player <laughs> Yankee banjo player banjo player from New York City so at any rate um, I moved to Kentucky after the Boston Tasty Licks band uh, broke up uh, also with Mark Schatz who by the way I'm still you know is playing bass on this tour We're, we've been best pals since the Boston days in the 70s we used to play on the street when our band when Tasty Licks broke up we played in Harvard Square uh, all summer just to make a living and had a great time out on the streets. But um, at any rate, we moved together to Kentucky where I got to live in the town, the J.D. Crow. He's the guy who that Tony Rice and Ricky Skaggs is another guy who I wanted to play with. Um, they all played with him in a band called The New South. Jerry Douglas joined, Tony Rice, Ricky. And J.D. Crow was like the holy grail. If you couldn't get Earl, J.D. was like right up there uh, right. in terms of this powerful sound that made you stop in your tracks if you were a banjo type person. And I wanted to get that influence because I didn't want to be a Yankee banjo player. And so during those two years that I was in Kentucky, I, uh, I kind of transformed 
I've been using that word a lot in this interview, but I, I did. I transformed my my right hand and my way of playing, and I really studied the old Earl Scruggs live shows and the J.D. Crow stuff, and really got my uh, sense of time and tone better uh, better together. And then I also um, got a real banjo, because my banjo teacher had said years ago, he said, if you want to be a real banjo player, you gotta ha you gotta have a real banjo, which means a pre-war Gibson master tone from the 30s. And I got that around that time, which I'm still playing, and I still love that instrument. So, yeah, by the time I had done that, I was ready for Sam Bush to call me up when uh, his banjo player left. He also played, he guess he played on a lot of people's records in those days, you know, still does. Um, he, had, he had played on a couple of tracks of, of my first banjo record, which I couldn't believe he would do, but he did. And um, um, so we had, you know, knew each other, and I was just this kid banjo player who'd made a banjo record that he'd played on to, you know, make money, play on a session. Yeah. But um, he remembered me, and um, he liked that um, I, I would dive off the deep end. Like, I, I would, I, if I didn't know what I was doing, that wouldn't stop me from continuing to, you know, fight Scrabble to try and finish the solo some way or other. <laughs> Jimmy Goodrow, who I played with in uh, Tasty uh, uh, Spectrum, the band in Kentucky, he would always say, it's like you climb out on the end of the tree limb and then you turn around and saw the limb off. <laughs> <laughs> when I would play bluegrass or whatever, I was I always... I like that, I like that. Off, ...off the end. So anyway, at any rate, some combination of this Yankee style of banjo playing and this, and this J.D. Crow, Earl Scruggs thing is what I ended up being. And all of those rules that I learned about taste and time and tone and a good instrument um, stood me in good stead when when I joined Newgrass Revival and also when I started the Flectones because then I had these musical concepts really firmly you know these bluegrass musical concepts were firmly uh, embedded in me and and I, I played everything that I played I tried to play with that kind of a feel and that kind of a, a perspective um, so which is I think why people in the jazz world or other worlds were willing to play with me because my basics were pretty solid and, and I was supposed right. to be good, but it was, uh, you know, at bluegrass or whatever. But I was also, I could, we could play in time. You know, we could get something going. So that's helped a lot. All those bluegrass rules apply to every music. Right, right, exactly. And just so, and if, in case there's maybe some, uh, you know, maybe younger listeners that that don't know, I, I just wanted to sort of help draw the distinction with them between, you know, Newgrass Revival is this, I guess, bluegrass, progressive bluegrass. Right. And then, and then once you form Bella Fleck and the Flectones in the late 80s, that's like infused with these jazz elements. Much more, yeah, just sort of a, a hybrid musical form that blended a lot of different things, but that had the banjo at the center of it. Um, but it, trying desperately not to be bluegrass, right. I, honestly. Uh, trying to live in a jazz world. Banjo uh, jazz. Not, <laughs> not easy to pull off because uh, there's a lot of people against the idea. Um, and a lot of people, for instance, uh, in the jazz world, didn't quite remember that the banjo was an African instrument. Right. Know, that, that that's where it came from. But Newgrass Revival was the progressive force uh, on the bluegrass scene. Um, the bluegrass you know, started out with the kind of songs you think about Rolling My Sweet Baby's Arms or Salty Dog or Cabin Home on the Hill, which told the story of, you know, the southern, uh, rural southerner, um, you know, lamenting about the past and the old way they grew up and that sort of thing, or, or telling the story of their life in the country. Um, Newgrass Revival was very influenced by the Allman Brothers and, uh, you know, maybe even the Grateful Dead and, and uh, Led Zeppelin and, you know, the blues singers and, and all right. kinds of music, gospel music. And um, so their music, they would do like, for instance, a, a 20 minute uh, jam based on a, a, a Japanese scale or, or uh, you know, play a Leon Russell song or cover... Uh, 
you know, cover different things. And so they were the hippie jazz weirdos. They weren't really jazzy. They were more like they were extremely virtuosic. I wouldn't say they were so much jazzy. Very blues oriented, but that, but um, jammy. They were the first real jam. You know, I think they were. So when I joined the band in in '81, they had already been around for quite a while, at least seven years, maybe even ten years. And this was like a new version of the band. It was actually a little bit less crazy, you know, um, but I did very well. But I learned so much from playing with Sam and John and Pat um, about music, things I didn't understand about team, team, you know, team sport music, you know, where everyone's equal and you're all uh, supporting each other 100% all the time. And then I got to start playing with people like Tony Rice and, and Jerry was around. Jerry Douglas was the guy who said, you need to call Sam. He needs a banjo player. This is your chance, you know. So these are guys I've known since, you know, oh, yeah. the 70s. And we're still, everyone's very vital. Jerry Douglas is, you know, and Sam are still the greatest players of their instruments, you know, that have been ambassadors for their instruments and collaborated with all kinds of wonderful musicians, um, brought their, inst uh, and, and in, in, in doing it, elevated bluegrass, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but we've been um, circling, you know, over the years, Every we're always best friends. We play once a year at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival and we do a bluegrass set, and that's the only thing we've been doing um, but every once in a while, we find a, a way to get together and do something, you know, more so. And this is one of those times around the Bluegrass Heart record they all played. And we did a tour, a month tour in December with those guys. And um, it was fantastic. And, and now we've got our bands together. So it's uh, we're dearest friends. And uh, I guess we're kind of we're born to play together. Yeah. You know? um, but it's pretty wonderful to find these new musicians that I'm playing with now. People like, you know, like Chris Thiele and Billy Strings, who won't be here, but, but yeah. that level of the uh, of the next generation the brian suttons and the michael cleveland's and the sierra halls are every bit as fun to play with but different you know so you get to, oh, yeah. you get to have both on this tour you get to see oh get yeah oh i love chris Thiele. he came on with us if, if our listeners want to check out our archives he came on a couple uh months ago and what a what a great guy fascinating conversation but there's one more before you run you've been generous yeah. with your time there no, was something no, you mentioned something you just mentioned um that i wanted to unpack really quick um, you you were saying about the African origins of the banjo. I know you did a documentary in like 2008, Throw Down Your Heart, about you traveling to Africa to you know find the the actual roots of this instrument that you came to love so much. Um, so yes, tell that a little bit. I know Ken Burns actually yeah. even went into it a little bit in the Big Country Music uh, Magnum Opus documentary he did. But remind people of you know that it has some origins uh, across the seas over there. Absolutely, you know Rhiannon Giddens is another person who's very good at at uh, talking about this stuff, and she knows more than I do about some of the the details. But but the basic story is very simple, which is that the slaves that came from West Africa, that's where the the banjo like instruments. Uh, were um, they brought the the knowledge of how to make them with with them? Now some people say that they actually brought the instruments and that more slaves survived when they were allowed to have some culture on the ships, but it, that for me that's hearsay. I don't know the truth about that. But it is very clear that those instruments origin uh, originated in West Africa and um, and came over with the slaves. And it was one of the things I know that drumming was frightening. For the slave keepers, because that they felt like uh, the slaves could communicate with each other and maybe put together an uprising, but the banjos weren't. They banned I, even some some southern states banned uh, drums on plantations. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. So yeah. So anyway, um, eventually, um, what's interesting is that you know, there's a lot of you know, irritating things about America, but there are some great things about America. Um, you know, mostly, I, I hope. 
And w one of the great things I think is this is a place where certain things can happen, you know, where things can mix, cultures can mix and find a way to coexist. And bluegrass is kind of the story of that, because you think yeah. of it, this as this very white Southern instrument, but, uh, and, and Southern cultural music, but Bill Monroe was very influenced by black musicians around his area. Um, uh, there's famous stories about a guy named Arnold Schultz, a black uh, fiddle player who he played with a lot. And there's a lot of stories about on the plantations where the Africans that were there playing their banjo-like instruments were told to play, get together with these Scottish fiddle players and play for a dance. Mm -hmm. You know, Abby, Abby has heard stories about that. My wife, Abby, who's a banjo player, and she tells me. So at any rate, it, it mixes, you know, it turns into this uh, old-time music and then this bluegrass music, which is very much multicultural. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted that's why I wanted to point it out, because this I mean, as revolutionary as what you're doing with going from, ban, you know, banjo and then into jazz, et cetera, pop, et cetera. It's it's been mixing, you know, influences and sources all the way centuries ago. So, I, you know, keep right. keep keep going on, Yankee bluegrass player. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? well, it, it kind of helped me to understand myself because I felt like, why am I this, you know, New York City person with no connection to the South? Why am I drawn right. to this instrument? And it almost didn't make any sense for me to be playing the cabin home on the hill, although I love to play like Earl, try to play like Earl Scruggs or J.D. Crow. <laughs> I'm not them. But um, it made more sense when I could put it into context that this is just a piece of what banjo playing is, bluegrass. Right. Bluegrass is a phenomenal thing, just like we, the way we think about like flamenco and oh, yeah. or Indian music. Bluegrass is a great American music. It's something we have to be very proud of. And I wish we revered it the way, for Love instance, it. people in Ireland or Scotland make uh, their music part of uh, school curriculums and so sure, forth. Yeah. I wish we were as proud of it as we ought to be because yeah. not because it's a Southern white music but because it's actually a very very multiracial music that um, we, we has become typecast sadly <laughs> by the very things that made me want to play the banjo in the first place the deliverance movie and the beverly hillbillies tv show so um it's very ironic actually. what an ironic complex history i like the way you put that it is a multicultural instrument that has been typecast by the very things that in <laughs> very pop culture things that inspired you to want to do it to begin with fascinating yeah. complex uh roots but there. then but then i also went to africa to i knew it came from africa i knew where it came from i knew that, but i wanted to go experience it in person and i also had a little bit of notoriety at that point with the fleck tones we were doing a lot of shows with dave matthews a lot of people were paying attention at that moment mm -hmm. and i thought i should go just get the word out if yeah. you know while i have people's ears because i know that that's a you know a celebrity or uh, attention is a fleeting thing uh, in the music industry, and I really wanted to do it. It seemed like a, a good thing to do for everybody, and so I was. So I went to Africa, and also selfishly because I was really fascinated by the music itself. I wanted to go play with these people, and uh, and I did, and I brought them here, and did we did great tours around, and um, and had the, the the film, which actually did pretty well in the album too, which won a couple of Grammys. So I got away with it, but. Um, uh, the, the truth is, uh, the music is always the thing that drives me the most. I like yeah. if I wasn't just so excited about playing with those guys in person, I wouldn't have probably gone. But right. all the other stuff I can, you know, act all proud of. But the truth is, uh, I'm very musically motivated and artistically motivated, um, and uh, I'm not always thinking. Of, you know, my first motivation isn't always the the pure, honest, you know, sweet what's good for the community that right. my first motivation is what can I learn? What they are they doing? I don't what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is that? What, are, what time signature are they in? How could I learn that on my banjo? So that's, <laughs> I'm just being honest. That's who I am. But usually at some point I do the right thing. 
Well, if you stay to that, if you stay true to that inner drive, that's when all the accolades and everything follows. But it comes from that place first. Um, awesome. Well, we appreciate you joining us. I guess final seconds. I got to tell our listeners, you are you're. What are you up to now? Fifteen Grammys? Is that right? Well, it's a little confusing because there was this uh, this Grammy that uh, Chick Corea and I won. Uh, it was called the Latin Grammy. Okay. And oh, so okay. when, Chick and I, when Chick was and I were playing quite a bit together, um, and I asked him, "Well, do you count that as one of a, as a Grammy?" Because he had a lot of Grammys, <laughs> a lot more than me. And he said, "Yeah, I count it as a Grammy." So whenever anyone asks me, I include the Latin Grammy. But then all of a sudden, people say, "Well, I'm looking on Wikipedia. It says you only have 15, not 16." So why it's are you saying 16 with the Latin? 16 with the Latin Grammy? Is that right? I think so. I okay. think so. So we'll go, um, we'll go with 16. But uh, do, where do you where do you keep them all? I mean, do, do they just around the house, or <laughs> I try to spread them around so they don't intimidate the uh, you know. <laughs> the guests the guests <laughs> awesome. they're they're around yeah they're around i used to hide them all because i was all awkward you know, it's like well if i have a friend that comes over who doesn't have a grammy which happens quite often yeah. maybe it would be you know it, at first you want to show these things off but then as time goes by you kind of want it it's more you know you're glad yeah. Yeah. really glad that people enough people out there but uh, you also don't want to put it in people's faces because exactly uh, but uh it's a t- it's a tough problem to have yeah, exactly. But you can put them over by your, what is it? Bluegrass Hall of Fame, uh, New Last Revival plaque. The, everywhere they look in your house, they're, they're surrounded. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but the uh, thing I got, though, is uh, uh, the Flectones got this award from um, the Montreal Jazz Festival, uh, the Miles Davis Award. And it's a, it's a, it's like a guy playing the trumpet. It's Miles playing the trumpet on the, and I like that one. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's a nice award because it's, it just looked cool. It's just a nice piece of art, and you could just forget about it having anything to do with you. But that speaks that speaks to how cool and how diverse and you know blended your music is because you you have plaques of Miles Davis, you know, jazz legend. You're in you know, and then you're in Bluegrass Hall of Fame, and I mean, you're a banjo legend. It, I it's it's awesome. I love I love how you've diversified and, and woven stuff together. I appreciate um, it. Thank you. All right. Well, again, everybody, come yeah. see at wolf trap july 2nd it's this saturday i guess fine yeah to speak to our listeners tell them to come on out uh people i'm giving you one last chance to come out and see this show i promise you you won't regret it it's an awesome show see you saturday down at wolf trap it's a great spot it'll be a great spot for music thanks so much for taking so much time for us yeah my pleasure good talking to you talk to you soon bye-bye Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.